And welcome to another episode of The Brighter Side. You're doing it, baby. Are you doing your push-ups today? Are you taking a shower? Are you washing your hair? Are you washing your socks? You can do this. We love you, baby. Get up and go for it. You can do it. Get up and slap yourself in the face in front of the mirror. Wake yourself up. We love you. All right. Welcome to The Brighter Side. Oh, my God. This is Amber Nelson and Ed Larson, whom is at his own place because we are self-quarantining. It is so good to be here. We're here to talk to you about positivity. I tell you what, we're talking about nothing that has to do with the COVID because I'm tired of it. (laughs) I'm tired of looking at the news and wanting to scratch my face off. So Ed and I are going to talk about something that we love, and that is music. We all love music. It helps us out of all the hard times, all the bad situations. And I tell you what, something that's helped me is classical music. I had like a crazy childhood where I was like ripped apart from lots of homes and cultures and places. And, you know, I classical music... It made me, uh, my brain go away. (laughs) It made my brain go away to a good place. I like to imagine things. This is going to be interesting. I'm used to a co-host being like, yeah, you imagine things. Bop, 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 me too. And, you know, here we are. Well, so we're talking about classical music on my side. I love it. And so there's been music before there was classical music. Of course, there's always been music. But, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of war-torn business that threw it away. Here's the oldest melody. Oldest melody, 1400 BC. Let's let it play. Syria. So that means from 1400 to 1950, it was just hidden in the breasts of the earth. How beautiful. Very austere. You want to feed someone grapes. A woman with a plump body. Don't you love it? Oh my God. But, um, Jeez. All right. I did smoke a little bit of weed before here. And I am drinking, fran- uh, what do you call it? Uh, frambuca? No, not frambuca. Kahlua. I'm drinking Kahlua and water. So this is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> but that is just to let you know that music has been around before classical music. Now we're going to talk about, if we want to talk about classical music, like we all think of like Beethoven and Chopin and Mozart, right? But if we want to get out how we got there, we got to start much earlier. And it starts early and it is, you know, honestly, like imagine sitting in a steel chair that is icy cold. That is this kind of music. 
this kind of music, you you go on 4chan and then you post about how you don't have a girlfriend. Like that's the feeling of this. <laughs> let's let's get that plain chant going. All right, so plain chant. So. All right, if I'm going to be a nerd about this. Um, people want to call it Gregorian chants, but it was actually Pope Gregory that only sanctioned a few of the monasteries. <laughs> but as it all is, is plain chant. But see, before this, this is in the year before this. So this is actually in the year 1000, this music. But in the year 800, this is kind of where it started. And there were these, like, monasteries all around, and nobody really communicated with each other, but they were all kind of saying the same thing. You know, it'd be like, Moses had Ten Commandments. No, Moses had Eight Commandments, but they all said Moses. Like, nobody was, like, in communication, right? And you can tell that from their texts. And these, by the way, at the time, the only people that could read or write are, like, monks. Like, basic people, most people, were just living their life, die, get put in the ground, turn into grass right so these guys they would like have these words spaced these monks and you could tell they had some kind of rhythm to it but you didn't know you didn't know the tone or the note you know it was just kind of passed down between people until there was a guy in 1200 (laughs) Guido de Arazzo and he figured it out, and he found the notes C and F, which I know sounds, I sound like such a fucking <laughs> nerd right now, but you know what, why not listen to this? This music is good for like walling yourself in your room and thinking about what you did, you know? <laughs> Play it out. But he figured it out, and we have staff notes because of him, like, or sorry, or, God, I have so many notes. It's like a nightmare journal, but I'm, we're, we're, we're going to get through this, guys. <laughs> Isn't this nice, though? All right. So then we have this guy called Geryan de Masha. Geryan de Masha. And he did the first complete mass. And this is in 1300. So the music went from this See, it's more people. It's more people put together for this. Because you have to have more people together to make chords. So music is more about how people are coming together at the time. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it would be small communities. Maybe one or two people would like kind of harmonize. But this is the first time you have lots of harmony. So now people are more coming together here. You hear that? That's a few people. And they've got to have rehearsals together and, like, figure this out. They're communicating. They're like, you know, what kind of food do you like? What kind of little boys do you touch? You know what I mean? All right. So that's plain chant. And now we're going to go to Ed Larson. 
Hey everyone, how you doing? Ed Larson here, living this quarantine life. Listen, we don't want to talk about it. It's a pain in the ass. We're all stuck inside. You know, I miss Zika. I know that much. That's what's going on in my brain. You know, one of the good old days when we're just worrying about Zeke's. Oh, good old Zeke's. How I miss you so. Listen. I want to get I don't want to talk about this. It's so aggravating. Everyone's got different opinions. No matter what you do, you're giving out false information cuz it's changing by the hour. I hope y'all are staying well. You know I want you to. What I'm doing with my time is I'm trying to remember the things that I can't do that I love so much. And I talk about it a million times on the show. I love going to see live music. Y'all know that. I talk about music way too much. So Here's a bunch more for you. I had two concerts I was supposed to go see this month in L.A. I was going to go see the Nap Eyes, and I was going to check out the Tijuana Panthers. Both shows got canceled. Bummer on me. A long time ago, I started a thing where it's once a month I try to go see a live show just to keep me sane because I love it so much. And so I figured as a tribute to the thing I love so much that I cannot do, by order of the government and common sense, I uh, I want to talk to you about some live music. And first, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about live albums that I get down on. And then I'm going to talk to you about uh, some of the best shows I've ever seen. And then I'm going to talk to you about the coolest venues in New York City. Because New York is having a real tough time right now. And I'm sure a lot of these venues are getting their ass handed to them money-wise. And I just want you all to go back out to these places once we're allowed. And it is safe enough to do so. Um, so we're going to be in three segments here. First one's I'm going to give you my top ten live albums. That's right. We're doing top tens. These orders of these really don't matter. They're all badass. And it was so hard to just talk about ten. So maybe if uh, people like this, uh, we'll... Uh, We'll do some more of these, especially during quarantine and me and Amber can't meet up and hang out with each other. Uh, also, both of us are technical morons. No offense, Amber, but you know it's true. And uh, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to do the best we can here in this time. Uh, before I start with this list, I just want to go on record saying I never got a chance to see The Grateful Dead. And I didn't pick one of their live albums because there's like way too many of them. And I don't have that kind of time. Just watch their movies. They're the greatest live band ever, uh, but I'm not going to talk about them during the show. I feel like they deserve their own, like, I don't know. Go watch the Amazon, like, 10-hour documentary they put out on them. I don't know how long it is, but uh, it's a great time. And now's definitely uh, enough time for you to do that. Uh, so top 10 live albums all time. Number 10 for me, Wilco, Kicking Television, live from Chicago. Check this shit out you guys you're gonna feel like you're at the show go ahead grab a brew if you do that grab some bud you don't have to look out for the security guy unless you know your mom's around because uh then she's the security guide when you're trying to smoke weed but uh check this out via chicago is my favorite wilco song and this is wilco a chicago band playing via Chicago, in Chicago, 
It's the perfect mix of fucking awesome. Uh, you got to get into this. It's the best versions of so many songs. Handshake, dr- handshake Drugs, Shot in the Arm, Jesus, etc. I'm the Man Who Loves You, Kicking Television, of course, is the name of the album. And it's my favorite version of Spider's Kid Smoke that you're going to hear. It's unbelievable. Jeff Tweedy, obviously the hero, the leader, lead vocals, right? Nels Klein, if you ever get a chance to see Wilco, there's this like spindly dude off to the side and he looks like a rock and roll mad scientist. He does lead guitar. He's always playing loops in the lap steel. The guy's like playing four different songs in his head while everyone else is playing. And the drummer, Glenn Kochi, shout out to you. You're a badass dude. He's so much. He's the heavy metal drummer. You know, he's and he's so much fun to watch play the drums. And when you got a good drummer, it really ups your fucking live game. So listen to Kicking Television, Wilco, n- number 10 there. Number nine. Unplugged Nirvana. All right. Unbelievable album. This is like, I don't know why, but I always saw this as like one of my favorite summer albums. Uh, It was released less than a year after Cobain passed away. And it became how a lot of people like kind of got to know Nirvana. Uh, Because Nirvana was so aggressive and loud and hard and grungy and gross and like, all the kids who liked it were weird looking. And so no one really like got into Nirvana until this album came out and you got to hear it like kind of slowed down and you really got to like respect how beautiful all these awful songs were. Uh, and so Unplugged is so good. It's how I want to hear Nirvana. Uh, I know that's blasphemy to a lot of people. If you love the hard live Nirvana, check out uh, their live at reading album that came out. That's badass. That's hard as fuck. He comes out and like, if you watch it live, he comes out in like a straight jacket and he's like shaking on the ground half of the time. I like the unplugged where he like talks for a little bit and he's chilled out and we get to hear. Uh, I also on all these, I'm going to tell you like each so- like songs, the best versions are on these live albums for a lot of songs. And I'm always going to let you know which ones they are. And for this Nirvana unplugged album for me, this is all for me. You know, this is what I feel. I'm not leaving out all kinds of shit. Uh, I I hope you all like uh, don't agree with me and let me know on the Facebook page for Brighter Side, and we'll just talk music through this whole shit, and we'll all learn a lot from each other. Uh, but my favorite versions of these Nirvana songs: "Man Who Sold the World," "On a Plane," "All Apologies," "Lake of Fire," and "Plateau." Just unbelievable. The whole it's it's unreal. There's a couple of Bowie covers, uh, the man who sold the world, obviously. Uh, and I mean, there's a couple covers on the whole. It's unbelievable. Just check it out. It's uh, it's wonderful. Next number eight, Jimi Hendrix band of gypsies. This shit was at the lot. It was live at the Fillmore East, which I mean, the Fillmore East is like the best place that ever existed to see music. Uh, this is my go-to Jimmy album, period. Uh, it's only got six tracks on it and Machine Guns, the real popular one. And that, you know, it's like 10 minutes long and it's all about nom and shit and like rock and roll fucking let's do it. But, uh, I mean, Jimmy's like the greatest guitarist of all time. I mean, you can argue it and like, there's like people are like technically better that play the guitar than him. 
but he's like he's the man he's the one that everyone wants to be and he nailed it by the time he was 27 uh he was unbelievable and if you don't know this about jimmy jimmy had two bands uh he had the jimmy hendrix experience which played all the big hits that you know and love and band of gypsies and that's what this album is this album's is called jimmy hendrix band of gypsies and what the experience was uh mitch mitchell on drums and noel redding on bass and they're great but that was the band that was like put together by the record companies to like present Jimi hendrix to the world uh because jimmy was just like this badass guitar player who was just floating around bars in the village and shit you know but then uh the record company when they hooked him up they took him out to london and that's when he really figured out who he was and he got on board with these guys mitch mitchell and noel redding and made all the music we know and love but the gypsies was jimmy's black band they were the he went out and he's like i'm gonna put together i'm gonna get the boys together and i'm gonna make a badass band and i'm gonna play the other music and that's why it, it wasn't as popular but for my money this shit rocks and that was billy cox he had on bass and buddy miles on drums buddy miles was in electric flag which is amazing a too much to dream last night Santana, and he also was part of the California Raisins. And Billy Cox, he played with uh, the Charlie Daniels Band, J.J. Kale, and uh, later on with uh, Government Mule. So this album, cover to cover, it's short. It's not too long. It's only like 40-something minutes. Uh, it's just, and it's just dirty. It's just mean and dirty and aggressive. And he was making a statement when he made this album. So check this out. Once again, check out Machine Gun. That's the big hit. And uh, Changes is also unbelievable. The whole thing's great, but those are my two favorites. Uh, number seven, Aretha Franklin, Amazing Grace. All right, so this is like Aretha singing an assortment of gospel songs with, uh, with a choir recorded live at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles back in 1972 so she had like already made a name for herself she was aretha franklin uh in the late 50s and 60s and she's like did all the hits and she's like all right i'm gonna go back to what i'm good at and that's gospel and she went to this church and recorded an album and it's just unbelievable it makes you it made me i've it, they made a movie about it uh and we'll, i'll get to that in a second but accompanying her is uh, Reverend James Cleveland, who's hilarious and awesome. I He's got so much. That man has more soul in him than, I don't know, a bag of shoes. And uh, in uh, the Southern California Community Choir uh, are singing back up for her. And, it's, and they're just unbelievable. Uh, it won the Grammy in 73 for uh, Best Soul Gospel Performance. Uh, she was at her best and i did the movie came out last year uh or two years ago now and it was directed by sydney pollock and the film was never released until last year for a bunch of reasons the first one is it was one of pollock's first movies and he's legendary film director uh unbelievable and uh just look at his imdb page you'll be like damn okay you know he's the best ever he was also played a bit part in uh that kubrick movie what was the one the sexy one with tom cruise da and nicole kidman eyes wide shut 
Yeah, he plays the lawyer in that too. But the movie wasn't released, uh, and it took so long because when Pollock made the movie, he was young, and he didn't want to like mess with Aretha because Aretha's, you know, and she's the sweetest woman of all time, but she'll fucking cut you in half to, without thinking about it. And so he never used a clapper board. And so it couldn't, he couldn't sync it up and it was running like two different speeds or something. And so before he died in 2008, he handed the footage over to producer Alan Elliott and he's like, go make something of this. And it took Elliott two years to like put everything in sync and the accomplishment and he was pushing it to festivals in, uh, in 2011, but Aretha sued him and blocked the film's release uh and then warner brothers saw found her old ass contract and said we're releasing it anyway and then she sued it again saying she didn't want her image put out there like that not sure why some people say she didn't like the way she looked uh it was all very rough recordings uh but i've seen it three times now because it came out last year and uh, they actually released it three months after she died uh, they were like, we got to put this out there because it was legendary and everybody always wanted to see it. And it is unbelievable. It will make you cry. It is going to be your, if you want to go to church on Sunday and you can't go to church, put on Amazing Grace, Aretha Franklin. It's on one of the, I think it's on Hulu. Uh, if not, you could definitely rent it on Amazon or just buy the fucking thing because it is so good and you can put it on whenever you want to impress your friends. Number six, Bob Seger, Live Bullet. Bob Seger, Live in Detroit, don't need to say anymore. It's a double album, released in 76. All right, so this is Seger talking to his people. The first song, Nutbush City Limits, Tina Turner's song. It's about where she's from, Nutbush, Tennessee. And he's singing it to Detroit, where he's from. So he's like taking her song about where she's from. And he's singing her song, but to the people where he's from. It's just beautiful. And in the middle of it, he just stops. And he's like, I was reading Rolling Stone. And it said Detroit rock audiences are the best rock and roll audiences in the world. And the crowd goes wild and shit. And he's like, and I thought to myself, shit, I've known that for 10 years. He's like, no Bush City Limits. He's like, he's then he's like, you better keep an eye for the police. It's just all about like not trusting the police after that. It's wonderful. It's a great, you gotta, it's, it's really Seeger at his best. And it's not the hits like you know him. It's uh, the only thing that's like they played for, this is the version of, uh, <clears throat> of Turn the Page that you hear on the radio all the time. But what my favorite thing in this is Traveling Man. In the Beautiful Loser, tracks two and three, it is the perfect stoned on your front porch music. It blends together so perfectly, I can't even hear one without the other anymore. It's like, we will rock you, and we're the champions, and Sergeant Pepper with a little help of my friends, and like, Heartbreaker with Livin' Lovin'. You know, it's like that. It's like, you can't hear one without the other anymore. If you go and put on the Beautiful Loser album, or the Traveling Man album, rather, uh, it, they're not next to each other. They sound weird without the other one. This is, it's like one of the most beautiful transitions I've ever heard live. Uh, they got the Van Morrison cover of I've Been Working, which is amazing. He's just playing because like it's er, it's good for these earlier live albums in their careers than the later uh, live albums because the later live albums 
are just like greatest hits albums basically and but like the early shit they're like trying to make a name for themselves and they're like they're throwing balls to the wall and like anything they can come up with because they don't even have that many songs they only got like a couple albums out this isn't just bob Seger. this is anybody and so like earlier in their careers is the best time to go and find these bands old live albums uh and the uh and other good tracks on this are the umc upper middle class it's just like a song about like wanting to be a part of the upper middle class and growing up in detroit it's unbelievable uh heavy music cat man do and uh get out of denver is uh the best tracks on this for my money and uh you guys uh you, you'll love it uh just get into it if you don't if you don't know that album you gotta be a part of it number five almond brothers live at the fillmore east i mean this is like straight up like library of congress shit you know this is you know i i would have given anything to be at the fillmore east i like it that venue was only open from march 68 to june 71 and it had the most legendary concerts of all time i knew this dude once and he had a brick from it because they tore it down and i touched the brick that's the closest i ever got uh but there's so many great this is where the band of gypsies was was recorded and one more on our list coming after this uh but the allman brothers man they were a live band that's how they are best they're like one of the first jam bands you know it was like them traffic and the dead were the only ones doing it back then and so that's honestly what makes this the best allman brothers album just like period i mean eat a peach and brothers and sisters are great but this is how you're supposed to hear the Almond Brothers is this big ass double album. It was a double album and they made it, uh, whatchamacallit, they made it as much as one album when it came out because they didn't want to lose a bunch of money when they came out and they just thought it should be cheaper for their fans. And so they made the double album uh, uh, only only as expensive as a, as a single album. I feel like whenever you buy this album, I bought it three times, two on CD, one on record. I don't have any of them anymore. I got to buy it again. Uh, that's when you officially be- get your like classic rock cool kid card. This is the album. Uh, it was recorded over three nights in 71. Dwayne Allman is on it. He died seven months after this. Uh, the Allmans only got paid twelve fifty for each show. So for each three shows, they only got, and there's like 30 of them. So they got paid. Not, they were dirt poor. Um, and all the best versions of all the great early hits on this, uh, in memory of Elizabeth Reed. Oh man, that song just like makes me fucking curl in a ball. Uh, Statesboro blues, one way out, Hotlanta, And of course, whipping post. I mean, this is the 20 minute whipping post that everyone always talks about. This is, I mean, that's the party ender whipping post. I mean, it's. What I used to do with this whipping post, I might have talked about it on the show before, but I worked at uh, BW3s in Tallahassee. Every um, every Tuesday night was a 25 cent wing night, and uh, basically it would just get filled up and become Club B Dub, and it would we had a DJ and shit, and but the DJ would turn off at 11:30 because we were supposed to be closed by 12, and so I had it planned that every time at 11:30 on the dot, I would go to the jukebox hit play now and i would play 
Allman Brothers whipping post. And after about 10 minutes, the place would clear out once they realized they were on their like third drum solo. And they, you know, it was, you know, they had no chance of enjoying their music again. So they, um, so they left. How is this number five? This should easily be number one. Number four, My Morning Jacket, Okonokos. I mean, it is just, this is how you're supposed to be introduced to this band. This is how I was introduced to My Morning Jacket because it's like it's their first four albums all the best jams uh recorded in 2005 off of the z tour and it was um this was recorded and filmed at the fillmore west in san francisco not to be confused with the fillmore east owned by the same dude but this is like long after that guy would do that guy passed away and uh and they rebuilt it and fixed it after the earthquake uh but this is at the fillmore west in san francisco I mean, this is just an amazing band doing what they do best, and that's putting on a perfect live show. Uh, Jim James on vocals is got the coolest voice, I think, out there, man. He is like, it's not like a rock and roll voice that you can't do, like Axl Rose or Robert Plant. You know, he doesn't have, or like, you know, uh, Robert Daltrey. He doesn't have like one of those, like, screams but he's just got the coolest smoothest velvet voice i love him so much uh the drummer patrick hallahan shout out so much fun to watch dude is a maniac long hair been in the band been with jim james forever uh wordless chorus it starts off with and it is the perfect way to start off this album it's just beautiful uh, Gideon and then One Big Holiday perfect live song best version of it uh, I'll talk more about uh, My Morning Jacket later on Lowdown for the drums uh, off the record Golden Run Through At Dawn uh, all the best versions of their music number three Neil Young Crazy Horse Live Rust Rust Never Sleeps Live at the Fillmore East uh, I just put all three of them together and Neil Young up here with Crazy Horse. Neil Young Live, unbelievable. The best. Can't believe it. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the best. Can't believe it. Neil Young Crazy Horse is like a whole nother monster. There, Neil Young knows how to rock. He's rock and roll royalty. When he gets with Crazy, crazy Horse, it's just like dirty, grungy, distorted, like evil fuck you music. It's basically, I mean, I feel like the real inspiration for grunge. Uh, I picked all three of these albums together because picking one of them over the other feels like a fucking crime. Uh, the music rocks. It's uh, it's simple in a way. Even uh, the solos are loud and repetitive. It's not an insult. It's just like what makes it so dirty, you know? And that's also not an insult. Dirty's a good thing when you're talking about rock and roll. Um, live... Live Rust and Rust Never Sleep both came out in 79. Who does that? That's crazy. Who puts out two live albums in one year? Uh, Rust Never Sleeps in June. Live Rust in November, both in 1979. Live at the Fillmore East actually came out in 2006 when Neil started unloading his archives, uh, which is which if you love Neil Young uh, and you, you have too much time, like right now, go through that shit. Uh, so, but back to Live Rust and Rust Never Sleeps. Hey, hey, my, my. Holds both albums together, two versions on Live Rust and Rust Never Sleeps. Uh, it's so it like basically it's like the bookends for both albums. Uh, it's so good on on uh, on the Rust albums. Uh, look for the best versions of Pocahontas, Powderfinger, 
the loner uh cortez the killer and like a hurricane best versions of all those songs go check it out live at the fillmore east uh this song has danny whitman on it before he passed away he's not he the, the other albums on like he wasn't around for the rust albums uh he passed away of a drug overdose i think it was heroin i think he's the guy from needle and the damage done but i'm not 100 percent sure on that so i could just be feeding you some bullshit uh but uh, uh i mean this album though it, it's short six songs maybe seven it kicks off with everyone knows this is nowhere and it's like a nihilist theme song i used to love playing that song when i was cleaning that cheesesteak restaurant and scrubbing the floors and just like knowing that this was my existence everyone knows this is nowhere just like fucking jamming as loud as i could this album uh has to be played very loud uh it has to you have to play this album very loud uh it's great for cleaning uh best version of down by the river best version of come on baby let's go downtown and cowgirl in the sand buy it they've earned it they Give them money. Even though he's rich, he earned it. Uh, all right. Number two, Keith Jarrett, Colin Concert. This is like Jazz 101. Uh, Keith Jarrett, if you don't know, is one of the greatest jazz piano players that ever lived. And I can't see how uh, he ever had a better performance than this album. Uh, it was recorded as a solo, fully improvised piano concert at the Cologne Opera House in Cologne, Germany. Uh, yeah, uh, you heard that correct. It's fully improvised, the whole album. He had no idea what he was going to play before he sat down on that piano bench. And the track numbers, he didn't even bother naming the songs. The track numbers are called Part 1, Part 2A, Part 2B, and Part 2C. It's that simple. Uh, it's just gorgeous. And he just flows into, into different, you don't even know where you're going. Put this on when you have zero distractions and let it take you to another planet. Uh, it's perfect for when a thunderstorm is rolling in. Uh, if you're not a jazz head, that's fine uh, for this album. It's It transcends all that shit. It's not, you know, it's just solo piano and it's gorgeous. Uh, if you listen to this and you don't see beauty, uh, go lick a door handle at Trader Joe's and get COVID because you're already dead inside. Uh, also, he um, if you listen carefully, uh, he makes weird noises, Keith Jarrett, when he plays sometimes. It's weird. Uh, he makes little picky noises sometimes. You can kind of hear it on this album. Other albums, it's very distracting. It's like, when he gets excited and he really likes his groove, he does like, I don't know. It's really weird and distracting. But, you know, he's so good at piano that uh, we uh, let the weird noises slide. Number one, rock and roll album of all time. I bet you think I'm going to say the last waltz. I'm not going to say the last waltz. Uh, last waltz is unbelievable. Uh, it's perfect. Uh, it's the greatest rock and roll movie, doc, all that shit. Uh, but, you know, I'm a big fan of the band probably my my favorite band them and the stones and uh i gotta say my complaint with the last waltz is i want more band you know uh, you know and that's what rock of ages is it's more band it's all band baby all right it's uh because it, it, it rock of ages it, it was uh it came out 
in uh when did it come out in uh, the 70s it was recorded over three nights december 28th uh through new year's eve and i mean and dylan is all over this too so it's not just the band so dylan like comes and does like the last like third of the whole album with him and uh, which is all i really wanted from the last waltz was more dylan and the band i mean that's the shit right there that's what we're really here for i'm not saying eric clapton's a turd i'm just saying more dylan uh so it was recorded and it ended on new year's eve which is very cool it was released the following year uh it was recorded at the academy of music also known as the palladium both of them r.i.p gone destroyed we are going to get into some new york venues in a little bit uh but this is the the band's uh first three albums are unforgivable but the best version of any song from those albums is here on Rock of Ages or The Last Waltz. Uh, what makes it extra special is Robbie Robertson hit up Alan Toussaint, the legendary New Orleans dude, uh, to help arrange horns for all their songs. And damn it, if a great horn section doesn't make every single song better, best versions of King Harvest, Caledonia Mission, W.S. Wild Cup, Medicine Show, Stage Fright, Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, Across the Great Divide, Life is a Carnival, Genetic Method, Into Chest Fever, Holy Shit, Rocking Chair When I Paint My Masterpiece, and Don't You Tell Henry. And uh, that's advice for you guys. Don't you tell Henry. I'm just doing top 10 lists for my shows right now. But I figure this is what we got to talk about. All right. Uh, so we're going to go back to Amber now, and we're going to see uh, if, uh, what she's, what she's, what's going on over there. Uh, I understand she's talking about talking about some old, old, old music. That's great. Uh, so enjoy that. And when you come back to me, I'm going to talk about the best live shows I've ever been to. Top 10 live shows Ed Lawson's ever been to. You get the top 10s today because that's what you get. All right. So now we got the Renaissance. Oh, oh, the Renaissance. So these are people like looking to escape a little bit from such a cold, stark world. And we're kind of like using music to do that. And I know this is going to sound <laughs> uh, kind of like a dumbass, but this is actually a huge step in humanity is this music. Because last we left, it was like a few massive people and it was sort of, we are singing these notes uh, the, the notes of the words, they're more like words of God. They're less about the music itself. But this is the first time it's kind of about the music. Sort of. You can hear it. They're like coming together. They're having like a little spoot in their step, right? They're getting sassy with it. Get sassy with it. This is when the Gutenberg Bible was created. So there's like way more information being shared. People are learning how to read. Football was created. Oh, we love football. That's where they scream at each other, right? Like whole stadiums. Remember when we could be in stadiums? <laughs> also at this time, women were not allowed to stand by a window. They weren't allowed. We're too saucy. Our bodies are too gorgeous for these men to do it. Also, pig urine was used to cure fever, which, I mean, at this point, if you said pig urine would cure, I would probably do the fever. I don't have a fever, but better than going to the hospital. Also, 
They didn't use forks until 1530. Look at that undignified use of fork. This is good. This song sounds like they're eating each other out. I feel like there's lots of tongues involved. I love it. They're all good special boys. The Baroque era. Oh, the Baroque era. How saucy. How secretive. Oh, but Daddy's watching. Daddy's watching. Don't you dare. <laughs> the Baroque era is like when your rich aunt invites you, like, she gets a lot of money all of a sudden and then, like, invites you to her two-story home to show off her dinner plates. You know, her Elvis commemorative dinner plates or whatnot. And she's just like, God is good. And you're like, I'm pretty sure your husband murders people. I'm sure that's that's why you have this money. The Baroque period. Oh, a lot of went on. The Taj Mahal was built and Harvard was built. Like within six to eight years of each other. That's crazy. There's a lot of weird stuff in the timeline. Like, um, I think they had the guillotine and also Star Wars. That was hanging out together in the timeline. Man, I mean, you could also at this point tell me yesterday was last week, and I'd be like, cool. Oh, look at that. Well, the thing about the Baroque period and kind of what made it as it was is because they just came out of a 30-year war. So imagine being born into war and death. It's not some faraway place. It's on your front lawn, and people are dying, and you got to, like, shove their entrails back inside them. You know what I mean? And that's how you hang out, and you are as an adult. You're going to be, you know, you're going to have a certain sensibility. You're going to be a little cuckoo caca when you're an adult, right? After 30 years of this religious war. So, of course, these people, they want to go back to something comforting. And to them, it is religion. So, just as we're, you know, kind of, kind of getting a little, uh, a little more fun with the cricket, we're kind of going back here. Uh, and we're going back to, I don't know, they want, they want the steel chairs back again. It's a very daddy's watching me kind of time. It's playful, but watch your manners. That's this whole place. It is, the men are wearing high heels, but they will also kill you. It is this kind of time. We've got a lot of people traveling. Gulliver's Travelers was built. I mean, sorry, uh, uh, written. Jeez. This Frambuca. (laughs) Oh, man. People are traveling. And there's also the spice trade, which is just a nice way of saying um, killing people. That's what that is. We have... (laughs) There's all these people like, we went to go get these spices. And you're like, but what did you do to get it? And they're like, "Mm mm-mm not gonna tell you and then all of a sudden like a whole village is out and you're like I'm pretty sure you killed people let's see in, 
Oh man, I keep skipping through my notes. I should really just... I, I crammed in too much. I think I crammed in too much because I get really excited <laughs> about classical music and like why this music was happening at this time. Galileo, he's saying that the earth revolves around the sun. And people are like, you sit down, you dumb bitch. We got Isaac Newton. We got Rembrandt. Moyet. Opera. People love opera. They love, so this is the first time, so we have the religious element from the past, but this is when they're sort of displaying it, right? So at least in the past, people kind of like minded their own business, but now they're just sort of like you know, ripping people's livelihoods away and taking their gold and then building the Palace of Versailles and being like, but we love Jesus. And you're like, very flamboyant, very foppish, just kind of like everybody's, um, the wealthy people, they have their own thing. And most of the people were very, very poor. And uh, in fact, it's raining cats and dogs came from this time because people were living in places where, um, Cats and dogs would live in their homes because they were all filthy. And then when it rained, uh, the, uh, the bodies would flood into the streets. Flood into the streets. Baroque. We had Bach. He was considered very old-fashioned. He had the harpsichord. People were a little like, Bach, oh, he's old school. We're more about that Vivaldi. Oh, man. All right. Well, oh, oh, I, know, I think I want to tell you like a good thing to, like a good piece to commemorate the Baroque period. There is a statue in Vienna and it's all of these like beautiful marble figures sort of like collapsing beautifully on top of each other. And then there's this like gold figurines and gold leaves around it. It's very beautiful. You know, that commemorates a plague. Like, a lot of people died very horribly. <laughs> like, and they just... Like, that's sort of like the epitome of that era. So they're making, like... I mean, it's kind of like if Lisa Frank did the COVID journals. It's kind of like that town deaf, but it's very beautiful. But it is a statue of the plague. had fun during the Baroque uh, the Baroque period <laughs> the Baroque period
right. So now we're on the Age of Enlightenment. I feel really bad because this video is kind of tech heavy and I'm making Fernando. <laughs> our, give it up for our wonderful man who is making this possible because I am over here with my nightmare journal just kind of scribbling things down and he's putting them together to make it listenable for you. Thank you, Fernando. All right, so this is Hayden. So not an F. And by the way, I like classical music, but if anybody's like, it's actually Hayden. Or da 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 da. It's actually ba ba ba. I'm like, I don't know. But we're talking about the Age of Enlightenment. So we've got, oh man, we've got Beethoven. Oh, wonderful, wonderful people coming out. We've got Rousseau coming out saying, man is born free and everyone is in chains. Everywhere is in chains after you're born free. People are starting to think like, is there a God? Was Jesus ever around? And we can like say that today and be like, yeah, whatever, dad, I just said it. But this is, you don't, if you even thought that, you know, a hundred years ago and people looked in your eyes, they would just kill you. <laughs> no reason but this is a different time people are tasting coffee and tea look at that and it's a lot of it's because there there was a time there was the uh, slave trade absolutely especially going on uh, many many years before but people were like figuring it out and what it what it cost and how it was with people there was a man Ola de Equano and he went through the middle passage wrote about it uh, people read the book so much that, and uh, it was it was reprinted so much that it uh, it abolished the slave trade. I will spell it: O L A U D A H E Q U I N I A N O. So people are like opening their minds and thinking, "What is the what is this king doing?" And I haven't. You have all of these riches. I have never. People are now being more inquisitive. They're talking. They're asking questions. They're saying, like, identity. They're saying these words. No one has ever said identity before. Right? That just didn't exist. You were born. You fed your your cattle. And then you died. And then you just worshipped Jesus. And then maybe you went to a better place. Maybe. After that. Before then, and I've gone to some monasteries built quite some time ago. Very stoic. I mean, you can feel it. That's another thing about music. It's, I might have said this before, it's, um, it's a time machine. I mean, just these written notes. You just you can play this and you get a feeling. People don't have that feeling like that. Alright, Age of Enlightenment. 
people are questioning themselves. They're questioning government. They're questioning God. What's going to come out of this? Back to you, Eddie. All right. Best live shows I've ever been to. I'm going to make this a little quicker because I talked like a bastard on the last one. Um, all right. So live shows to me, there's two parts of it. There's the personal part of it, like the best time you ever had because of the people you were with or the experience. Like, you know, nothing will ever top uh, Fleetwood Mac uh, getting engaged with Julie uh, and like Chance the Rapper first show the night I, we moved to to LA we went and saw Chance the Rapper at the Hollywood Bowl like nothing's gonna beat that you know because that's just so emotional uh in uh, Herbie Hancock I went and saw with Holden right when I moved to New York City at Carnegie Hall uh that was amazing he did four sets it was badass Bill Cosby hosted which was awesome then now it is horrible taints the memory but I keep it as a positive in my life uh fish i saw him at 16 and then again i saw three shows and msg that's all like emotional shit but to me best shows ever top 10 here we go number 10 go see sturgill simpson he's i've seen him like five or six times now he's like me and julie's go-to live act i mean it's unbelievable he's his voice is beautiful, but live, it, like, finds you and, like, squeezes out your fucking guts. Uh, we saw him a bunch of times, but the King's Theater in 2016, he was doing his Sailor Guide to Earth tour, which was so good. He did two sets. He came out, needed a full set of his first two albums, and just all the hits off of those. And he's like, all right. And he left for a second. He came back with a horn section, and he did uh, Sailor's Guide to Earth cover to cover fucking righteous rock and roll um number nine ozzy osborne 1998 coral sky amphitheater west palm beach holy shit i was 16 years old blew my mind i went with my boys mr pastrami and Corey braslow and we had the best time ever rollins band and typo negative opened i saw some some the craziest dude I ever saw in my whole life just screaming fuck you Ozzy the whole time he was having the best time he ever had and then like some girl by us started ODing and then he was like I'm a doctor and he like saved her life it was insane uh, and then uh, also I went and saw an Ozfest I'm tacking on to this in 2000 I saw them with Sabbath and Pantera Typo Negative again Machine Head Power Man 5000 Cold Chamber killed the side stage uh, I saw some dude like these. That's the thing. South Florida nineties, you know, the year 2000 Ozzy Osbourne, this shit got a little crazy. Uh, I saw like, there was lots of skinheads down there a lot and it was just a pain in the ass, uh, dealing with them all the times in the, in the mosh pits. Cause they would always like throw punches to the jaw and shit. And they're just brutal human beings who shouldn't be allowed anywhere. But you know, that's not how laws work. And so uh, I remember that I saw this skinhead dude. He had this knife in between his fingers and he was like slashing at people in the mosh pit. And he like slashed some dudes, opened it, like his arm open and it like came out and fucking flayed. And then like someone, and then he got jumped and 
the crap beat out of him and brought to jail, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, you know, but as a uh, 16, 17 years old, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, next, we're going to do Wilco. I love Wilco Live, if you can't tell. Coney Island Cyclone Park. Um, I don't remember the year. I want to say it was like maybe 2010. And it was just cool. Yola Tango opened. It was like the Coney Island Cyclones or the minor league baseball team in uh, Coney Island. And the Cyclone is obviously named off of the roller coaster. But they were playing in the outfield. I was standing on the pitcher's mound or next to the pitcher's mound. And it was the coolest shit. Like behind them's the ocean. And then you go ride the rides all day. And then you go see Wilco at the baseball park. And then you go back to the dirty Russian bars all night. It was the best. It was the best experience. And Wilco live is unbelievable. I've seen him like six times live. That was probably my favorite experience. Um, my birthday in 2010, I saw Roger Waters do the wall. It's October 5th, 2010. I saw Roger Waters do the wall at Madison Square Garden. And then as soon as the show was over, me and my buddy, we hightailed it downstairs and we we got in a cab and went and saw Built to Spill that same night at Music Hall Williamsburg. It was the most epic night of music my whole life. Roger Waters, The Wall. When you go and you like see these big bands for the first time that you love and know so well, and like The Wall, you know, I listened to that thing cover to cover countless times. I used to put the movie on every time I took a dump for a year of my life. I had the movie set up for, uh, Right, right. Like my toilet was facing my TV, and I had a VHS of the wall. So every time I went and took a dump, I put the wall in for like five, ten minutes. The wall was very. I know everything. I know it upside down and backwards. When you see it live for the first time, you're like, "Oh shit, this is incredible! Why did I not fight harder to be here?" So it's a. Uh, you got to go see those big bands, even if they are a little older, because uh, I mean it means so much to you, and you have no idea until you're there live. Uh, the Black Keys at Bonnaroo 2007. That was their fucking coming out party. Hardcore. Uh, there was like that big one of the big headliners at Bonnaroo that year was the White Stripes. And basically the Black Keys are the better version of the White Stripes, in my opinion. Uh, at least back then they were. Over time now, when you look back, the White Stripes are more creative and shit. But the Black Keys were loud as fuck. They came out and I remember... Uh, you just heard there was everyone was very packed and very anticipated. They were the hot band. Everyone wanted to see him. And they had this, their tech come out and he just like hit it. His, and we we're all just sitting there. He just boom. And it was the loudest noise I ever heard in my whole life. And then we all just knew we were in for a fucking badass album. It was a uh, uh, show rather. And that was off of the, uh, what was it? The the one with the egg. Her Majesty. Or Your Touch album. It was on the year that, that album. I don't know if that was the name of the album, but it was that year. Unbelievable. Tom Petty. Um, I got to see him three times. I saw him in 98 and I saw him in 2000. Uh, and then I saw him again on the tour right before he passed away in Cincinnati with Julie in 2018 in June. And uh, man, you like... I remember I turned to her at some point and I was just like, man, how does he remember all the words and all these songs? And then I was like, oh, wait, all of us in this whole arena know all the words to all these songs. And it was just like a 30,000 person sing along every time you see him. 
But when I saw him in 2009 and 2000, uh, I mean, when I saw him in 99 and 2000, uh, Jackson Brown opened for him both times. So uh, that gets a little push up. And uh, for that reason, and uh, we're, we're rooting for you, Jackson. Stay healthy. Uh, we know we, I'm sorry about your, your illness there. Radiohead, All Points West, 2008. I feel like anytime you see Radiohead, it's like, an ex- I don't even consider Radiohead music. Like if someone says, like, what's your favorite band? I feel like you're not allowed to say Radiohead because they're like their own different thing. They're just like, they just exist in their own realm of being. But uh, I saw them at All Points West in 2008. They played uh, two shows, completely different, two nights in a row. Uh, I only saw one of them with uh, my buddy Walter Replogal from Murderfist, and we had the best freaking time. The Black Angels also performed there uh, that day, and uh, I saw like Mogwai, I think as well. But it was a incredible day of music, and uh, but Radiohead fucking destroyed it, and that was so good. Uh, Flaming Lips is a religious experience. Uh, if you have not seen the Flaming Lips, uh, find the closest show to you right now and go see them. Uh, they, uh, it's worth the, the trip. It is a relig- it is religious, it is religion. Uh, it'll make you feel better no matter what, uh, you can, if you go on drugs, you'll have a great time. If you don't, you'll have a great time. It's, uh, they're unbelievable. Uh, it is positivity in its purest form. Uh, it's just people dancing around, uh, in animal costumes, it's rainbows, it's love, uh, it's hugging. It's definitely not Corona friendly. Uh, but uh, Flaming Lips I saw him at Bonnaroo 2007 and it was like war we lost we went in 10 strong and we only by the end of it only 3 of us were left because people were like literally fainting it was so good my friend Valinsky fainted and pissed himself and I had to drag him out of there like we were like in the swamps but I got I got him out We, we some people followed us they took care of him and uh, I went back in and boy oh boy it was so good they um they were playing after the police and the police had this like special thing where no one could uh wasn't allowed to play while they were playing and uh i saw some of them they were fine but i really wanted to see the lips so i left the police early and i got a good spot for the lips and it's an hour before the lips go on and they're just not allowed to go on because of the police and there's like 20 30,000 people just waiting for the flaming lips to go on so they could easily just perform and it's no big deal and they came out and they're like, hey, uh, we're not allowed to play for you. Uh, so if anyone asked, this was a sound test. And they just played War Pigs by Sabbath. And it was just incredible. And then we had to wait a full another hour for the for the show. And then they handed out laser pointers to everyone in the crowd. And at one point, he's like, when I ask you to pull out the laser pointer, which is like the worst thing you could ever hand a crowd full of people on drugs. And uh, he he hands out laser pointers to everyone. He's like, and then he pulls out this giant mirror shield, and he starts like, and then we all point the lasers at him, and it just like created this giant. They have the best special effects. Uh, it's a show like no other. It's bad for litter. It's great for fun. Go see the Flaming Lips. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, number two uh, in the E Street Band. I saw him at the Old Giant Stadium in the summer of 2008 with Old Henry Zabrowski. We had the last seats in the stadium, like all the way up top, like back against the wall. So f- the furthest seats from Bruce Springsteen. And we were crying the entire time. We had the best time 
ever. It was like, I remember all of our money put together and we went and saw the Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I feel like any performer needs to see this band perform together. They are so tight. They play for four hours uh, and they wouldn't stop. They turned the lights on him and they played seven more songs. Uh, he just wouldn't leave and it's Jersey. So they're not going to let him, you know, they're not going to, no one's going to say Bruce stop, you know? So it was, um, and you know what they do? They do this thing where people bring like signs with the song requests and he'll like see him in the audience and he'll just play that song and the band's so tight. He's like, all right, we're playing this song. We haven't played in 25 years. One, two, three. And then just nail it. Uh, go see Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, uh, the greatest performers I know. Best concert ever went to, same summer, uh, 2008, Bonnaroo, My Morning Jacket, started at midnight, ended at 4.30 in the morning, pouring rain. Uh, they played a giant set. It was unbelievable, life-changing. I was like up front with my boy Tim Dean. And it was, they played four hours and they did a lot of funk covers. They were feeling funky and uh, you can find streams of it. Uh, there are uh, torrent, you can find some torrents of it if you really want to. Uh, you got to listen to this album. It was unreal. The equipment kept breaking because of the rain and they bring out new equipment. And then it all ended with them playing Home Sweet Home, the Motley Crue song. But with Zach Galifianakis dressed as Little Orphan Annie for some reason. Uh, and I, and then Kirk Hammett from Metallica came out and played one big holiday. And I, I mean, it was just I mean, the craziest thing ever. You gotta, gotta listen to that just for the covers alone, get down on it. Oh my God. It made me love that song again by cool in the gang. Uh, but those are the best concerts I ever saw. Uh, and, uh, I mean, just go out, make these experiences for yourself. Uh, you know, I made it a rule in my life and it, honestly it gave me just a million stories and just great cloudy memories So now we're doing Romantic Era, 1750, baby. So Romantic Era, this is ro uh, rebellious music right here. This is like total rebellion against the times because the times before, when they were questioning their king, questioning their god, people started building their own business. They started making trains and industries lots of coal. It's the Industrial Revolution. People, come to find out, don't like a train running through their town. Who would have known? Who would have known? Oh, by the way, this is uh, Schubert, Symphony Number no. 5. Isn't it nice? So, Romantic Era, people... <laughs> people rebelled. They didn't want... Um, 
They didn't want smoke. They didn't want big cities. They didn't want capitalism. They didn't. They wanted to trade and barter again. I mean, this was like some kid in Bushwick being like, "I don't want you, Daddy. I don't want your business. I'm growing kimchi on my roof." <laughs> Those are these people. They glamorized being a painful artist and not having a job. Um, Keats was in this time. They loved the starving artist type. Oh, Van Gogh was in this time, just in the attic somewhere, just painting himself blue. This is the starving artist time. But, put this on, because this guy wrote this at the age 19. Right, Schubert? He did this at 19 years old. So put this on if you want to have a good time. I mean... Unless you want to feel bad because he was 19 and he was better than all of us. <laughs> Look at that. So this is a big rebellious time. This is like every painting you see where it's big swaths of land. That's this place. That's this time. Because people wanted to get back to nature. They, in fact... Um, romanticized the Middle Ages. So a lot of those, like, beautiful, succulent maidens with their boo-boos out, that was done, and this time, romanticizing back when they could get back to nature. Actual medieval paintings are very stoic and 2D, and all the babies look like grandpas. But this is nice, isn't it? Very rebellious. They want to get back. It was, in fact, a book printed at this time, and it was all about how children are happy and joyous and carefree and just do whatever they want. And uh, then people started thinking children were now people, <laughs> or like, sorry, little children. Whereas before, like, children were seen as um, tiny adults. Like, as soon as you could stand, it was like, get behind the plow, boy. And now it was like, oh, you're a little boy with little... Well, you got a little uh, fat bow on your head. Whoa, little boy, sweetie. Go run around and be fun. <laughs> That's the first time this happened. All right. Um, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm um, hopeful this has been okay for you. I hope I don't want to apologize because I am a strong woman in my home by myself, listening to classical music and writing down tidbits. <laughs> this was sort of my little descent, but um, I did, I did, I did have a very good time, and it got my brain off of the horror show that is around me. And if you can, do your own dumb project. <laughs> You know, anything to get your mind away from things. Because you got this. You can do this. I believe in you. Fear is the mind killer. Okay? For your, pour yourself a... Um, what was this again? Frambucha? Kambula. Kabula. Ka Kalua. Kalua. I'm doing a Kalua and water. Pour yourself a Kalua and water. And um, just pat yourself on the back and smile and thank God you're still alive.
Okay, back to Eddie. New York's having some trouble right now. They're obviously, uh, I imagine, uh, concert venues are fucking struggling. Uh, a lot of these places, you know, you think, oh man, they're fine, but they're not open every day of the week. And, you know, the rents on these huge ass buildings are insane. And like, you know, and you got to pay out the bands and your cool ass staff. And, you know, and yeah, they rip you off on the drinks and shit, but, you know, they need it. And it's it's a really hard business. And so uh, not counting the awesome outdoor summer venues in New York, like Central Park and Forest Hills. Uh, I, I just wanted to concentrate on my f- 10 favorite uh, New York venues. There's actually 12 here, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so go, if you get a chance, uh, these are like, these are the kind of venues where I feel like you can go if you don't like the van and like check out the venue. Uh, cause the venue is like what makes it cool. And you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's like going to a church when church isn't happening. You can look around and you're like, damn, that's pretty cool. You know, it's the same kind of feeling. Uh, but, uh, and I learned you find I've done that with some of these places and I'll tell you what places to go to, uh, as far as like low key bands, uh, with $10 tickets and shit like that. Uh, first, a lot of people don't like this venue. Uh, I hear a lot of like my music friends don't like it cause the sounds a little weird. Uh, but I love it. I feel like I can see anywhere in the house. I've seen some amazing shows there. Uh, terminal five, I think is awesome. Uh, it's, a uh, it's it works with Bowery Presents a lot, which is an amazing company, and uh, Terminal Five will put on everything from Bob Dylan to The Flaming Lips, and there's a lot of space. It can hold a lot of people, but there's no seats, so everyone's standing and standing and jamming. Uh, Terminal Five, it's in a horrible location, uh, like deep in Hell's Kitchen, against the water, uh, and it's it's hard to get to, and there's no bars next to it to pregame or you know, post game, but, uh, terminal five, uh, cool ass place. Uh, but get in and get out. Uh, Oh, also when you're there, go check out the roof deck. It's pretty fun. Uh, the Warsaw in Greenpoint. I love this place. It's like an old high school gymnasium run by Polish people. Obviously it's the Warsaw. Uh, and there's like a cool, like Polish bar in front of it. But also when you go in the back next to the arena, uh, or the, um, the basketball court uh, gymnasium type deal that you're in is a, uh, a place where uh, a little old Polish lady will sell you the dynamite kielbasa sandwich for like six bucks. So uh, that's uh, it's worth going just to get the kielbasa sandwiches. I've seen the OCs there, the Black Angels, uh, P-Funk. Uh, I've seen uh, Wilco. I've seen some crazy shit there. Uh, so, uh, and it's great. And those, uh, those, uh, pierogies and, and kielbasa sandwiches, they go far away. Uh, this is going to sound stupid, uh, but Madison square garden, uh, number, number eight, uh, uh, unbelievable place to see a show, uh, the history Elvis Muhammad Ali. I mean, and they just redid it. It sounds great. I've seen Seeger there twice. I see Neil Young, Wilco, uh, you know, they, and it's just when, when you finally get to play MSG as a band, like it's like you bring your gay game. 
you don't phone in MSG. Like you go to New York and you put on the best fucking show you can. And if it's at Madison Square Garden, that's the premier location. You go balls to the wall. I mean, also go check out this Billy Joel thing. That dude figured out rock and roll. He plays Madison Square Garden once a month and sleeps in his own bed. He's like on tour all the Go just MSG, great place. All right, there's this little club in Park Slope called Southpaw. I don't know if it's still open. I hope it is. I've seen some badass shit there, like uh, Those Darlings and Deer Tick and uh, Black Angels. It's a cool, like, they have two venues there. There's a smaller one and a bigger one, obviously. And uh, But uh, it's it's really loud, and it gets really dingy and dirty, and it's a good place to go fucking see a cheap show uh of a band that in three years from now you're gonna have to spend sixty dollars to go see uh also gonna sound stupid uh carnegie hall lincoln center just go see anything those places existed for so long because you can hear a pin drop on that stage uh from the balcony you know it's uh you gotta go to these places they they're not famous for no reason uh, Mercury Lounge uh, is next on the list. You can check out that place is like right in the Lower East Side, right where Lower East Side meets the East Village. And I've seen so much cool shit there. You never know who's going to stop on. Murderfist has played there a couple times. The Cowmen have played there a couple times. But like, you never know. Like, I w- like I went and saw some random show, and then David Byrne hopped on stage. Like, it's one of those kind of joints. And plus, they got shows like starting at 1 a.m. So for people who don't want to like close down their night, go check out Mercury Lounge. I've seen so much cool stuff like Hawk and the Hacksaw, which is like this offshoot band from uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. And it was unbelievable. And I saw a lot of young bands that didn't make it that I loved there. And I saw a lot of bands that uh, did make it uh, before they were badass. And, you know, they probably holds like, 300 people tops brooklyn bowl this place is amazing i love going to brooklyn bowl i have the best fucking time every single time i go you spend a little too much money uh but you gotta get the fried chicken it's delicious they got brooklyn brewery brew because the brewery is next door and you can bowl and watch concerts at the same time i know it sounds distracting but it's oddly like so much fun and the sound system at brooklyn brawl is unbelievable uh they have some of the best tech i've ever heard it is it just sound you would think the bowling would fuck it up but it actually sounds unbelievable the restaurant's so good uh they're so creative and at late night they have like cool ass dj dance parties and i mean it's great uh check out brooklyn bowl i've never been to their other venues they got one in vegas and somewhere else uh but always just go to the brooklyn bowl uh radio city uh i mean it's Radio City Music Hall. I mean, it's, you know, it's you go to Radio City Music Hall. If you're, like, if you're band, I've seen My Morning Jacket there, and I've seen, like, ELO there, and it's, like, if your band is playing Radio City, you do what you can to go to that show. Like, it's just, like, because it's a goal for everybody. You know, no one's, like, oh, I don't want to play Radio City. No one says that. If they do, they should be kicked out of whatever business they're in. Uh, Radio City Music Hall if your favorite band or one of your favorite bands is playing there, that's reason enough to take a vacation to New York City. 
Uh, King's Theater in Brooklyn just reopened. It's an old movie house. It was huge. This is where I saw Sturgill Simpson. And I also saw the Beach Boys there, the shitty Beach Boys, uh, the the Mike Love Beach Boys. Uh, but it's uh, it's really just one of the most gorgeous theaters I've ever been in. It's kind of like the Beacon. The Beacon, I don't know how it didn't make up this list. Uh, I, I probably just forgot it. it. It goes with King's Theater. They're kind of the same place, but King's Theater is definitely nicer. Um, the Beacon's amazing because you'll go see bands. Like the Allman Brothers used to do like 14 nights in a row. I think uh, the Trucks Chodesky band does that now. And Steely Dan still does it even though uh, one of them has passed on. And um, best places to go see music in NYC, Music Hall, Williamsburg, and Bowery Ballroom. They're basically the same place. Unbelievable venues. Go check those shit out. Anything if you're ban- if you like a band that's playing there, it's just a party. They both got badass basements, uh, and the uh, upstairs is so much fun. You can just slide up there and uh, check them out from the balcony if you want to chill out a little bit. But everyone's dancing. Uh, it's ba- and they are just built perfectly. They're built by the same dude. I wish I would have looked up his name, uh, but they're built by the same guy, and they're like the same layout. And it is to me uh, the 9:30 club's very similar in DC. Uh, but it is the way it is. That's how you should see uh, up and coming artists. And you will see this. I've seen some of the best shows I've ever seen there. Black Lips. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I can name a million bands that I've seen there. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I, like I said, I hope you all are staying safe. Uh, I love you guys so much. Um, message me on uh, DM me if you're down. You're not feeling, I've been getting a lot of messages lately. And, uh, you know, uh, we're all down, you know, uh, things are tough right now. And, uh, I miss you guys and I miss Amber and I miss Eddie and I miss Fernando. And, uh, uh, thank you for listening. You can check me out at Eddie tunes underscore on Twitter at Eddie tunes, uh, Instagram, uh, at Amber Smelson on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at, uh, last pod network, uh, around the, this is on the last pod network, uh, podcast network. This is the, uh, I mean, I know I'm a part of it, but we're the best podcast network there is. I, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know. I'm trying to stir, start shit. Uh, I just, you know, that's how I feel. Uh, this we're free on Spotify, baby. If you're listening to this, you're listening to us on Spotify and guess what? Since you are on Spotify, uh, you can just go listen to any of the bands I talked about as soon as this is over. Uh, or you can listen to more great Last Podcast Network shows, including Marcus and Carolina's new music show, which is unbelievable. Uh, if you like this in any way and you haven't checked that out, No Dogs in Space, uh, Right, they're doing deep dives into great bands. Uh, right now they're on part three of The Damned. Damn. I mean, that's got to be fucking unbelievable. Get in there. Mark, we all know how smart Marcus is, and Carolina is unbelievable as well. Uh, you got to check this out. There's, I love passion projects, and this is a passion project for them. Uh, so check that out. Uh, you know what? Uh, give us Help give us a push on the socials during this pandemic. Uh, this is what our show is made for. It exists to bring positivity back in the world and it's a brighter side, a cynics look at optimism. So we are here for you guys, uh, to help cheer you up as much as we can. Uh, that's all we need. That's all we want. So please, uh, rate review us. I don't know what you got to do, but spread the word post about the shows. Uh, if you have a music buddy, send them this, 
uh, you know, it's it's great. Um, it's great. A, no mail for the time being. We still got some stickers. We'll get back to it when the pandemic's over. But uh, we shouldn't be sending mail right now. We're not really checking the P.O. box, so we don't want to crowd it. Uh, so just no mail. Uh, I'll let you know when it's good to send mail back out. And we'll start getting you all those cool-ass stickers again. Um, thank you, Eddie and Fernando. And um, taking us out today, I got to say, uh, one big holiday from the Okonoko's uh, My Morning uh, My Morning Jacket. I mean, that song's just... If you want to rock clean your house everybody it's a one big holiday put that put that my morning jacket on and just clean your goddamn stinky dirty house of yours uh i love you guys be good to yourselves peace This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.